Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. On today's show, we're talking about the impact of energy policy on housing. The fact remains the U.S. has underinvested in oil and gas since 2015. Despite high energy prices in the market, the number of new wells being drilled is not quite enough to keep production levels constant on a year-over-year basis. The U.S. currently produces about 20% of the world's liquefied natural gas, and over the next six to seven years, that will increase to producing about 30% of the world's LNG. That will make the U.S. the dominant player. Even with that, the U.S. will still keep the majority of its own natural gas for domestic consumption. The constraint on liquefaction capacity will ensure that domestic prices for natural gas will still be significantly lower than global prices for natural gas. We have 40% of the world's energy being consumed by 15% of the world's population. As emerging market economies continue to grow, so too will their demand for energy. There's a lot of movements across the political spectrum to invest in green energy technologies. And I'm here to tell you that these will only truly win when the economics of energy efficiency make sense. When you can convince the guy on the streets of New Delhi with two bricks of coal that there's a cheaper alternative to cooking his meal than doing it with two bricks of coal, then you've got a realistic shot of true improvement in greenhouse gas emissions. But until you convince the man on the street in New Delhi to cook his dinner a different way or in China or anywhere else, you're not going to be making meaningful progress against greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. We don't yet have viable sources to make up for the structural shortage we're experiencing globally at the moment let alone displace oil and gas with greener alternatives at a rate that will replace the expansion of emerging market economies like China and India. Energy prices can have the makings of protests in Europe, which we've already seen this year, and these could spread all over the world. North Americans are still the largest consumers of energy per capita in the world. And while the pain of a $7 gallon of gas is real in many parts of the U.S., we've not seen riots over that pricing yet, but it's possible. I believe that higher energy prices are here to stay for the foreseeable future. Much like the 1970s when the U.S. lost its dominance in the auto industry by resisting energy efficiency, we're at another inflection point where energy efficiency and energy transitions become important. In the world of real estate, that's best addressed through design and new construction. But it doesn't help you when it comes to retrofitting existing buildings. Those buildings exist and they're not going to improve in efficiency on their own. When you consider that many investors amortize their investment over 25 years and sometimes 30 or even 40 in the case of a HUD loan, many energy investments in a building can pay back much faster than the loan. So the question becomes, what energy payback makes sense for an incremental investment in energy efficiency? If you could pay back an efficiency investment in 15 years, would you do it? How about in 10 years? What if you could get a payback in 5 years? I think most investors would agree that a 5-year payback on an improvement in energy efficiency is absolutely no-brainer. But even a 10-year payback seems pretty compelling. Many of the energy calculators out there that you'll find on the internet are very simplified and they don't look at the full life cycle cost of the entire building envelope. The vendor calculators compare just usually one variable at a time, like the heating costs or the air conditioning costs or maybe water heater costs. They don't look at the entire system in a holistic manner, including insulation and windows. The truth is, the various systems involved in the energy efficiency of a building, they're interconnected. When you improve the insulation, it affects the payback on the heating system. When you have a more efficient air conditioner, it affects the payback on the insulation and the payback on the windows. A proper energy study by an energy engineer is required to understand the financial benefits. 
Some landlords take the approach that tenants are going to be paying for the heating and air conditioning anyway. So why would you bother spending money on improving something that will only benefit the tenants and not the landlord directly? Well, as it turns out, there are new lending programs that take energy efficiency into account. And the terms of these loans can be highly advantageous and contribute directly to the bottom line for the investor. In the U.S., there's the CPACE funding program, which we've talked about previously on the show. In Canada, there's a lending program called MLI Select, which is provided by Canada's largest mortgage insurer. In both cases, the benefit is that you get additional loan leverage under very attractive terms, which allows for more efficient deployment of capital. Of course, that only works, assuming you have sufficient cash flow to manage the additional debt load. But the thing to remember is that energy costs increase over time, and therefore the time to break even is reduced even further. That's something you want to include in your model. For example, if the price of natural gas were to double, well, the time to break even on a more efficient system that doesn't use natural gas, that would be reduced as well. If the price of electricity were to increase faster than your historical consumer price index models, then here too, the time to break even on a more efficient air conditioner would be reduced as well. As you think about that, consider designing in greater energy efficiency into your new building projects. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.